Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Nick Lewis. Yesterday was my birthday, June the 3rd. I turned 38 years old. You know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting over the last, um, especially the last week. And uh, since the unfortunate death of George Floyd and just seeing where we're headed, I think we progress greatly now with everything going on. One of the things I want people to understand is I believe the rioters and the looters are paid. I believe that there's people with different agendas that are trying to run the movement. I don't know what's so wrong with everyone having the same opportunities in life, everyone having the same chances, making the same money. There's enough to go around for everyone to be happy. I just never understood that. While we can't reach out and help our fellow man and woman become successful, why do we need to be greedy? Why do we need to be in a situation where only a few have it and so many don't? I think it's time for us as the people to really stand up for for what's right and stand up against what's wrong. And we all have different viewpoints. And one of the things that I talked about in this episode with today's guest was amazing because I have so much respect for him and his perspective. And we've had so many great conversations in the past. When all this was going on, I reached out to him and I said, man, I'm struggling right now. I'm just not feeling right. I, I just, I go down the rabbit hole and I try to I try to do my best to fill my heart with love and I couldn't use the word hate when we were growing up. My mother wouldn't allow us to use the word hate. My grandparents wouldn't allow us to use the word hate. We couldn't say we hated vegetables. We couldn't say we we couldn't use the word hate. And and just thinking it's so prevalent today that that people hate. Don't let this circumstance allow you to hate. Don't let this allow you to hate. Hard times allow us to grow. And through this podcast, we have seen time and time again of of players and people that have overcame tough circumstances, tough obstacles. Last week, we touched on this briefly with Jamar Wall, and we hit this full steam ahead today with today's guest, and I know you're going to, I hope you're going to enjoy it, because here's the thing, I always want to do it the right way, without any unbiased, what I feel is unbiased opinion, uh, without any hate or malice but in a way that it makes sense and that people understand. You may not agree with my side or my guest side, but take a step back and just listen and just think about it. Because that's how we grow. The things that challenge us allow us to grow and help us grow. 
I had a wonderful birthday yesterday. First, I want to say thank you to everyone that took the time to give me a shout out on social media or text me or called me. Uh, my phone did some crazy stuff yesterday, but thank you for everyone uh, for doing that because in everything that I was going through, yesterday waking up um, and just seeing the messages throughout the day, it refilled my heart with the love and I felt it. I truly felt it. And it allows today to be a better day for me. So I really appreciate that. So I hope you enjoy this. Thank you once again for continuing to support uh, the Lulu Logic podcast. If you if this is your first episode that you heard, please go back and listen to the other ones because there's so many great stories that are being told every week from successful people. And we all have different paths. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different ways to that we got to success. So please go back, listen, because there's clues in it. And if you're struggling right now with this, what's going on with George Floyd, if you're struggling with mental health, if you're struggling with anything, please, Please seek help. Please understand that this is a tough time with COVID and everything else going on. But please just know, I care. And part of the hard part is sometimes is finding out that others don't. But I'll tell you this, I care. Without further ado, this is Lulu Logic. Today's guest is from McClinney, Florida. Went on to play college football at Troy University, where he was first team all Sun Belt. Then went to the Atlanta Falcons before heading north to the Montreal Alouettes and now the Toronto Argonauts. He's a two-time CFL All-Star and won a great cup in 2017. Welcome to the show, Bear Woods. What's up, brother? What's up, man? Glad to be here. Good to have you, man. I'm I'm so happy to have you on. Like I said earlier, I I reached out to you a couple days ago uh, with everything going on, and it's just um, we had some great conversations. You know, I, I remember conversations we had. Um, where were we uh, on the train to Toronto from Montreal? Uh, right. So I, I remember some of those great conversations we were able to have and. And I'm just glad that to have you on to be able to share your story, but to touch on what's going on in the world right now and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I miss those times, those conversations. Those are something. Well, that's what we hope everyone's having at this point in time, right? So I look forward to talking with you today. How you been doing through the COVID? How's the family been doing? Um, you're right outside Mont uh, Montreal. You're right outside Alabama right now, uh, Montgomery. So how, how's everything for you there? You know, things have been very, very well for us, you know, uh, seeing uh, the uh, the state shutdowns and, and quarantines, and that, that's been hard for a lot of people to stomach, you know, to earn a living for their family. Uh, but the virus itself, we've been, you know, for the most part, unaffected. 
uh, in the extent of, you know, what would be, you know, common sickness, sicknesses of other kinds. You never want to say flu. I'm not trying to compare. You get the virus is a bad deal, but we've been lucky enough to where it's been very flu-like to us. And my mother-in-law actually works on the COVID unit in Auburn, Alabama. So she got to see, uh, she's probably one of the hotbeds of it. And, and it's not a, it's not a good deal, but we, for the whole part, Nick, we have been very fortunate to be able to steer clear of it. And, yeah. uh, and at the same time, trying to get everyone back to work as soon as possible. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, I know there's so many conflicting things right now. Like I'm under the belief that pretty much everybody's going to get it at some point. Um, so how do you really fix that? Okay, I'll, I'll shorten it up for you real quick. I simply did this. You know, I'm going to be politically active, man. You know me by that point. I called my state representative, my mayor, my county commissioner. I said, what, what, I said, what data did y'all use when y'all implemented these, what I call unprecedented uh, policies to lock people in their homes and take their jobs? They sent me their data. I looked at their data, saw that their data was flawed. I sent it back to them. And they agree with me the data was flawed, but we still had to wait around a few more weeks. And then the CDC ends up saying numbers weeks later that we already knew. These aren't my numbers, Nick. This is the government numbers. So yeah. I'm with you. Everything, there has been no data now, nor has there ever been data to justify most of the measures in which the government has taken. That might not be popular to say right now, but these aren't my numbers, anyone who's listening. This is the government <laughs> numbers. These, these are not my numbers. Yeah. This is their numbers. So I'm with you, Nick. It's going to be the herd immunity. You know, that's, that's, what it, that's what it seems to be. And I'm not an uh, expert, but I know a lot of experts right now who've been wrong the entire time, and most of them are on TV. So hopefully yeah. everyone stays safe. We can have some common sense approaches. But, uh, you know, here in America, Nick, your government can't tell you to stay home. You have something called a natural right. Yeah. So uh, that's been the interesting part as well. But we're glad that in our area, People have been, for the most part, not affected. Uh, here locally in my town, it, it's been, we're going to find out it's going to be the nursing homes, man, just like what a flu would go through most of these deaths. Now, CDC numbers, again, not mine. If you're going to trust the government to tell you 2 million people is going to die, trust the government to tell you that not 2 million people are now dying. So I use these numbers again. It's like 80% are in nursing homes or something like that. Yeah. It's tragic from, from that standpoint. So that's where I'm at, Nick. But we're all going to get it at some point, if, and more than likely some of us, might have already had it. Yeah. Yeah, I was down and we took a family trip down to Arizona in in the middle of February. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're there and then you're not even thinking about it. You see it going on in China, but you're just not even on that level of thinking about it. And so that's just one of the things. I just think you got to be very careful with other people, right? Um, Like my mother who had pancreatic cancer, who still hasn't fully recovered from that. Um, you know, it's very dangerous for me to interact with a lot of people, then go see her. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, it'd be very irresponsible of myself uh, to put her in that situation and and things like that. So it comes back to caring about each other. (laughs) You're exactly right. So let me me give this for anyone who's listening to what I just said, and it might be ruffling their feathers that I'm using data that they don't see on TV all the time, although it's government data. My wife and I, my youngest son, has asthma. Last year, he was put in the hospital for pneumonia and RSV. He has lung damage. Yeah. So before any, before any of this started, where lockdown started, the minute we heard there was a flu-like symptom going around, my wife and I called my pastor and I called my worship leader because I play the guitar in my church. I said, I can't teach my Sunday school class this week and I can't play a music because 
there's a flu-like something going. We weren't even calling it the Wuhan virus yet or COVID. It was just a virus. We kept our son out, just like you come up protecting your mom. Like we took the initiative to keep our son and our family didn't go to church for two weeks, and then two weeks later, everyone the, the state shuts down church. So like you, we we got to make you know the decisions to protect those who are who are susceptible. And one being nursing homes, but we did take that as without the government telling us we needed to keep our son away from church or away from a gathering. We did that. However, I will say this: two weeks later, when the government told everyone to not go to church. I called my pastor and said, well, I've seen the research from Italy. I'm ready to go to church. You let me know. So, but we, we drive this. So we've come full circle, man. You know me. Anyone listening probably does, but I'm going to do my research, man, and try to make the best decision for my family. So we protected my son before any, when it, people were looking at us crazy for not going to church at that point in time, right? And then people, now those same people look at us crazy for wanting to go back to church. It's crazy. <laughs> it is a crazy time. You know, it's a bunch of guesses. Everybody's guessing. <laughs> Yeah, if other people, if I got, I, I don't like living my life based on someone else's guess, man. I want to do some guessing myself. <laughs> so education and, and and educational guesses are should be the best quality right now. <laughs> so do you oh, do you man. get out and hunt or do anything since this has been going on? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I hunt every year, man. You know, if we eat meat at my house, it's gonna be deer meat. Uh, I, will, I will say that I, I leaned on my father-in-law's hunting this year. I did not hunt as much. This is actually the, the first year I haven't killed a deer, man, in probably five years. But, man, we got back with the holidays. I went out to the woods and stuff, and uh, and but I didn't do as much hunting as I should. We've got a lot of stuff going on at the house right now, uh, some remodeling and some stuff like that. So I had I had reasons. And I had a honey-do list, man, that, that kind of trumped the, the hunting uh, this year. But uh, as our freezer went thin, my wife said, you got to kill some deer next year. I said, now we talk. <laughs> what do you like to hunt the most? Is it deer or is there anything else you like to hunt more? Well, well you know, I think I showed you some videos back in Montreal of my brother, you know, and them bear hunting and hog yeah. hunting. Now, that's, that's the most fun because you're running dogs, right? You're in, you're in chest deep, swamp water with alligators, and it, the adrenaline's awesome. You know, everyone's thinking about the bears, man. I, you know, that's just that's just the most fun because it's active. But uh, I, I specifically just deer hunt here in Alabama. I just go and sit in the stand, and I'll try to tell you it's not exciting. You know, it's, it's fun being out there in nature because it's just you and your thoughts. But uh, you know, it's really not. You know, that's it's just long rifle deer hunting is what I do. Yeah. See, I my 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 friend has 185 acres in my hometown, and um, Rombies went out there with us before and we went deer hunting, but I'm more like hog hunting, right? Walking yeah. around, being able to move. You don't have to be quiet. All those different things that play into it. So you can go and just enjoy the hunt. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever done any bow hunting? I have not done any bow hunting. Most of, you know, I've got cousins and uncles that do. That's my next thing though, man, because that seems to be a pretty awesome primitive feeling to be able to take down a, a big buck with a bow and uh that would be that'd be awesome so i'm, I'm gonna i probably need to do that next year with the technology now or with the bows now that you get the you can actually put the thing around your wrist and you're just yeah. clicking that you're clicking the rope and the rope is yep. releasing the arrow now so you don't yeah. have to actually have to aim it and then do it and hit your fingers and hurt yourself all it is is this um you're connecting yep. it to the rope. That's pretty. Nah, that's pretty. Yeah, man, that's awesome. 
Rombi has one, man. So uh, we, we, I got to shoot it out there, and it was pretty cool because it was very easy to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know my my buddy's wife, uh, she does it. So I knew something had to be up because she ain't quite as strong as my buddy. She's popping deer down with the bows like it ain't nothing. <laughs> right. she, well, she's awesome. She's tough as nails, but there's something – I don't know if something's going on, it would make it easier. Well, maybe um, maybe we'll do a um, – because Rombie talks about going bear hunting with bows. But you've got to oh, get the man. big bows and everything. So maybe we'll just put together a, a, an Alaskan trip. We go bear hunting with some bows and Ooh. stuff, man. We can film Alaska. it. We can Alaska, film it. Man. Y'all talking <laughs> about some big bears up there, man. Down in South Georgia and North Florida, we, 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 we hunt black bears, which are about 225 to, you know, 400 pounds. Y'all talking about – I mean, come on now. I'm going to be careful. Y'all can have y'all, but I'm going to have me a gun if we go into Alaska to hunt bears. That ain't – all right. I'm not saying I'm afraid. I just want to be prepared, man, straight up. The game, the, if, if the game plan needs to be altered, you know. I'll let y'all have fun with your bows. I'm going to be sitting back there in my 308. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun, man. We can film it, and, uh, yeah, we'll see if it turns into a drama or a comedy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite the hunter. I'm not definitely not sleeping outside. Well, if y'all do that, that would be, man, that would be entertaining to watch for sure. <laughs> well, we'll pick somewhere on the continent to go and, um, and, and kill some bears, man. But... <laughs> Speaking of killing, man, like, what's what do you think going on right now with everything? Well, to, just to answer that big question, I think it's it, the sin that lives within every man's fallen heart. Ultimately, that's that's what it is. Uh, along with negligence, along with you know lack of training, along with lack of empathy, man. So it it. I'm 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 assuming you mean the everything. Where are we starting the everything from? Because well, I mean this is like the, this this is like the history of the every time I open my Bible, right? Like this is what I read every time in the Bible. It's man's fallen nature, yep. and we're trying to figure out why we just can't have things peacefully. And the thing, the reason is we can't, because we're you know as a Christian, we're uh, and that's my I have a biblical worldview. It's that we're in a fallen world, man, and it's and it's people like I know how you your stance, my stance. It's, those two can make a difference, but that's an ongoing fight every day. It's never going to be resolved, but the hope is there that people are willing to make the change. And uh, that's the answer to the what's going on question. That's what's going on. It's the, unfortunately the same story another day of, of you know, uh, sin. Yeah. One of the issues I have is um, just looking at the – now I see more cops speaking up because they make it hard on everybody. When these incidents happen, it makes it very hard. Right. Cops are now on higher alert. Blacks are on higher alert. Everyone's on higher alert right now. And it's gotta be a way to ease that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it starts with standing up for, for what you believe is right. And, like you said, everybody's going to believe something different is right. I believe but see, so. that, that, yeah, yeah, tell me what you believe. I want to go back and answer that question. Yeah, sure. Well, I believe right is, you know, um, stand up against wrong, right? So, uh, innocent man, I don't care what color you are, 
getting murdered at the hands of people that are supposed to, supposed to protect you. Oh yeah. Right. When you when someone posts, well, black people kill black people every day. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with it because innocent innocent people are dying or deserve the right in court, right? Due process. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't happen. I mean, even if we go back, and we already know, like, even the due process doesn't even work for black people a lot of times. But I don't think it's, I don't really think that's really a 100% black and white issue. I think that's a money issue of getting proper defense, right? The better lawyers you get, the less time you're going to get. Right? So, just the, when, when looking at this right and wrong thing, I just think that I can't find 12 people that will say what he did was right. But if he goes to court or trial, they're going to find 12 people to find what he did be right. Oh, no, uh, not not in this case, right? You're not talking about Floyd's case? You think yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you Floyd. think that they'll act, like, no, I don't think there's going to, I would, I don't see how he'll be able to, uh, the justice system won't find Depends on what they bring in. This is when you get to the legalities of it, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'll, let me go back, Nick, and, and the question of, you know, w- what is right, what is wrong. This is really the crux of how we got to decide. And this is a deep talk that will scratch the surface on. But we got to decide, uh, well, what does unite us? And because what you're seeing now, and this immediately happens, and this breaks my heart, is that the justice for Floyd then turns into what has nothing to do with the justice for Floyd with the riot, not the protest. These ain't yeah. protesters, these are, these are riots. And it saddens me to know that you're doing complete damage. And honestly, you are uh, almost standing on the grave of George Floyd to go and rob and loot and all of this. That's not the cause, man, because we talk about yep. wanting just, we want justice. Well, justice knows no emotion. Justice has no agenda. Justice has no time frame. So George Floyd was killed. Injustice. The guy's been now. Our process is going in. He's been he's been fired. He's been arrested. That's rolling. But then the same justice, like you can't go and riot and tear up someone else's property. 100%. That's now that's injustice, right? So you and but it, these these movements get hijacked for agendas that have nothing to do. Man, there's a I'm only bringing up race because there's a race still. There's yeah. a bunch of white punk. There's a bunch of white punk teenagers out there screaming Black Lives Matter, breaking windows. You know yep. who that's reflecting on? You know who that reflecting on? The Black people Lives who Matter. Won. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's insanity. It's like, oh, man. But what is right or wrong? And and I'll, I want to answer this question. You have to give me at least 90 seconds to do it in a in a. You can take as much manner. time as you need, brother. Okay, so with a biblical worldview, we're, all men are created equal. From their creator. That's like when you are born, there's certain faculties within you that you have without any influence or upbringing of any kind. You are you are a sovereign being. Yeah. That that idea derived from our creator. That was put into words for the first time ever in a, in the history of any culture or country in our declaration. The declaration itself. All men are created re- uh, equal uh, in, with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. 
that is a truth that our country is built on. This is where the complacent comes in. And this is where division will always be. And this is what this movement of anarchy is going after. It's basically going on the, that America's evil has always been evil. No, the Declaration unites. The Declaration hasn't failed us. The men who are supposed to defend the Declaration failed us. The same thing, I've seen things going around that. Maybe Martin Luther King, maybe he was wrong about his, uh, maybe he was wrong. Martin Luther King can't be wrong, not from a biblical worldview point is this. His message was that of all men are created equal. We have God-given rights upon birth. That message can't be wrong. But men, once again, failed to carry on the message and legacy of Martin Luther King, getting entangled in it, if you will, money or division. Hey, listen, division makes a lot of people rich. White, yes, black, does. yellow, doesn't matter. Mm. So the, the, it's a fallacy, in my opinion, to say that America failed. No, men failed, which is why you know me. I don't put my faith in a politician or a man. I serve no man. I judge a man based on, on, on the things that he does, individual. Which brings me to the biggest, which brings me to the message of the Declaration is once again, what can unify us if we don't allow those to, to change what is that? Because the people who felt it was to defend that. The Constitution hasn't failed us. The men who are supposed to defend it have failed us. Martin Luther King's message hasn't failed. The men who are supposed to carry that legacy, which doesn't just include black people, that doesn't include, it, it was, that, that message is still true, but it wasn't defended to the utmost. Which brings us back to this, that one of the biggest mistakes we make, we all of us at some point, yeah. is we judge, we judge people by groups, not by individuals. The whole idea of America, and for any Canadians listening, they're getting more history right now and, and, and understanding of, uh, of, of natural rights than they'll ever get, even watching YouTube probably. So, so this is what it is. The individual being is what America was built on. Like yeah. You are an individual being. You do not, you are not punished for someone else's actions someone else's actions don't grant you anything but we lump groups together instead of judging people individually back to my biblical worldview which is all western society as we know it, is derived from god meaning government can't take our rights away they can't truth be told nick government can't tell me i can't go to work i can go to work that's my god-given right is to seek provision for my family can the government tell me i'm not allowed to go feed my family no they can't that's my natural right at birth to do that when I stand before God at the end of my life, as a Christian, I believe I will, I will be judged as an individual, yeah. not as a group. I will be judged for my actions and my inactions as an individual, not as a group. But the minute we see something, even as, uh, and you made, you made the point earlier when you said now all police are on high alert, now yeah. all black people are on high alert. But someone watches that video and through the propagation of, of hatred that sells, all cops are bad. Now we have systematic oppression. Now we yep. have this. It feels like you, like you can't win. Now one black person uh, kills a cop. Now all black people are cop killers. You can't do it. You have to get back to individually looking at people. And that's my approach, and that derives from a biblical worldview. I can, I'll even go further and tell you this, because we're talking about the issue. I've had to call the police twice in the last three weeks here at my house in Wetumpka, Alabama, two times, because women were beaten outside. It was young black teenagers who beat the women. I'm going outside, guns pulled in my garage. Police, come out with your hands up. I would never use those two instances to say that's all black people. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't because that is a gross injustice and it's immoral. But that's but that's the way as a fallen people, 
it's easier for us to say, well, all people are bad, but then we feel like we're on the righteous cause because all people are bad. It's just not the case. We build a paper tiger, and you can't have peace that way, which ultimately, in my mind, it's revival or bust as a Christian. The uniting factor for me is, is to share the gospel of Christ, and uh, that's the only self-evident truth that I'm willing to fight for to the to the bitter end. Nick. Yep. And, and so one of the questions I have, when, when we talk about the declaration, um, we know what it what it meant, but just to try to be in that space mm-hmm. when black people had no value then. To write that on paper when you're not executing it yourself in the world, right? right. The Declaration of Independence, it talks about the freedom and justice for all. And mm-hmm. at that same time, there was no justice then. So, so I see it as maybe they never thought blacks were ever going to be valued as a people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people think now. For sure. And and, and I'll answer that. And I love answering this question because this, I believe my answer brings, first and foremost, uh, maybe things never heard. Just simply go read the Federalist Papers. We have so we have documented writings from all our founding fathers, the slave owners, which most of them were. They acknowledged the hypocrisy that they were that they were living. Like we, another uh, uh, often mistake that we make is like history starts when we want it to start, right? Yeah. Like we're we're, we're going to judge them for owning slaves. Well, who owns slaves for the history of this earth? Basically, every human civilization ever. Yep. They put those they put those down, and they should be judged. And in their writings, they talk about the hypocrisy, hoping that the progeny, those to come, would resolve this issue because of the mockery that was writing this down, yet not willing to do it themselves. Which is why you had George Washington free his slaves when he died, you know. But now it's like we expect people to live 200 years ago, like we live now. That's just not the way history works. Like to grade yep. them on the terms now, it's hard, but. The reason the Declaration is uniting is that, once again, I can point to that. Like, their defense of it doesn't change the fact that th- that, that is a, the purest form of thought, that you are a sovereign individual, that people do not control you, a government does not control you, you are your own person, which is why Martin Luther King goes straight to the Declaration during his speeches, why he mentions Abraham Lincoln, because they all stand on that is the idea of Americanism, is yep. that all men are created equal. It's just not been defended. So I would go back to that every time. If you have issues with anyone of political history, oh, sure, I'm with you there, man. This, that's why we can't judge or we should not judge people. We've got to look at the whole spectrum of their life, right, to judge people on certain moments. I won't want to be judged at certain points in my life. But yep, it's a declaration. Yeah, right, but it's, the declaration still doesn't change. Anyone's action doesn't change in my mind that we're all creations of God, regardless exactly. of skin color. And that you have the same liberty, like Thomas Jefferson said, here's the ironic part, you know, slave owner, I understand that. But it was still the courage to put this down as someone who's in power to give away your power. He said the same God that gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. And that's and that's what I stand on. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, hit me again, man. I, I, I see the issue, though, but the issue is still not with the Declaration. That's still with man. Yeah, yeah, no, no, of course. I I do believe the Declaration um, has merit, and you know, like like even the Bible, we're all created equal. No one's mm-hmm. better than anyone, right? And and the people that think that way, 
continue to carry those same ideals. And I, I believe that a lot of the people that made the money off of it can still hold on to those ideals because they're the one controlling the media. They're the one that controls all the information that gets out. And then the ignorance, and then the ignorance that follows it is going to always be hate. And they, as long as they separate you, far left, far right, they don't say Republican, Democrat anymore. It's far left and far right. They want to take you further apart so you really never have a, never can come together for a conversation to be able to reconcile wrongs or to find a just cause. And you said something very fascinating earlier before we started the recording about teams and about football and about the locker room. Can you share that with us? Absolutely, Will. Uh, in these moments of uh, uh, national strife, uh, I miss my brothers so much because the football locker room actually encompasses the, uh, let's say, the diverse ecosystem that everyone hopes we can all live in. And, and, that, and that diversity isn't, a, isn't the skin color that's the difference. The difference of diversity is your upbringing. You know, your culture, depending on what state you come from, uh, you know, just your heritage, your personality, your, your, your worldview, those, that's the real diversity that has to really be uh, put together and, and, and bonded. But the only way to put people to get to unify diversity, diversity isn't strength unless you all have a common goal that you agree this is where we're heading. I'm going to bring the best part of my culture to help us get there. I'm going to bring the best part of my worldview to help us get there. And that's what the football locker room does, man. It's such, and that's sports in general. And even if it's not articulated like I have tried to do today, just us being out there on the field together, people are seeing a diversity of people uh, operating in a passionate way, man. Think about how the tenacity you play with, Nick, and just yeah. your emotion to the field that was felt in my inner being, man. It's just it's a trust that you feel. Even if one of us lets each other down, we ain't worried about that because I got your back. It's really just, it's what we all hope to achieve, and sports does that for us, man. But I miss being there because to make a difference on issue, you got to have personal relationships. Yep. Social okay. media tweets, so, social media tweets, all that, I mean, that that does some good, but it does a whole lot of bad, and it's great for communicating. But unless you can look eye to eye, man to man, you know me, I know you, uh, like straight up, dog, you think that I would have let that guy kneel on his neck for eight minutes? No, man, no. Like, yeah. and, and I got teammates, I got teammates that can share stories about those very type scenarios. Like, no, I'm not the guy who's going to do that. Not, period. No. And that's not putting them in the bystanders there. I mean, they're putting their life in danger, but I'm just meaning, like, I ain't got to know you to defend up what's right, but I miss the football locker room, Nick. Nick. I miss it, man. I miss you, man. I told you that yeah. other night via text. I'm not due. It's, it's, I miss that. Yeah, it's, it's, and, you know, one of the biggest things for me is, is we talk about what sports grants you, right? Learning to work in team, learning to do these things, learning to overcome adversity, all these things that build you for life. But something that we never talk about is the diversity that goes into it and the different cultures, different histories. And, um, you know, like you said, how I was raised to how you were raised to how the next person was raised to be able to come together and find commonality for one reason and one goal. But it lasts 
for so much longer than that goal. Even when that goal is no longer the goal, we can still have this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. That's, and that's, be- that's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. And I, as we have the Grey Cup goal, that's why I go back to the declaration, is that's our goal, is to achieve a society where we adhere to the self-evident truth that all men are created equal with inalienable rights, life, theory, and the pursuit of happiness. And sorry to be a damper, that will never be achieved in this fallen world, but we can fight this battle together every single day. We can change it slowly, but surely there's going to be setbacks and setbacks we can use as launching pads man because leaders lead this ain't about division this is about you say unity and and all these things they end up just being you know just memes if you will man yeah Yeah, hashtag how you want to say it but man let's not get lost on that the bible says you know don't grow discouraged in doing good meaning when when you don't think it's happening man it's happening man let's keep planting the seeds hey i'm raising three kids and guess what they don't care about hey they don't care where you come from man they're going to love thy neighbor as thyself. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Show me what you got. So when I coach a YMCA basketball team, I don't care what street you came from, what neighborhood. Can you hoop? If you can hoop, you're going to play. If you can't hoop, we're going to work with you every day and let you hoop you until you can play, right? It doesn't. That's another thing sports, sports brings the, the competition, the free market competition that, that most of us want to participate in, and that's this. If you're better than me, dog, that's yours. You earned it, right? Yeah. Right, wrong, it doesn't matter. That's and that's it. one thing sports – Sports brings that too, Nick. And you know, I talk I talk all day about that. I'll let you carry us elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always I always appreciate your your thoughts and, and I always appreciate your conversation. And that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I wanted to do this today, because because like you said, you're educated more than someone just spouting out different things just because of belief, but to take the proper education and get there and to know what you're talking about, right? Not yep. a lot of people are emailing or, or mailing in to their government, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's, but that's a whole different conversation, right? That's, that's like you were taking action. And when people right. say, I can't change, one person can't change, We've just seen two people, apparently two people, and this year alone, that has changed so much from COVID to George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I right. think, you know, so one person can change, and if everybody mailed in or emailed in to find more education or to get to grant knowledge, and, you know, most people vote once every four years. But the people that make right. the most difference to those people, they should be voting every two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You're a representative. That's why we have a republic. Yep. Right. Exactly. But yep. see, most people only I, vote the once every four years. Yeah. I mean, th- there's no question. If anyone wants to talk about a system of oppression, it's really the transition of a democratic republic to that of a democracy and the watering down of transparency from anything our government does. I, and this is, this is, I'm a policy man, dude. I love policy, which is why I can talk with anybody and I have my feelings hurt because I'm not emotionally tied to anything here. You know, I want you show me policy, you show me numbers, and you know I come from a biblical worldview. But I want to, I want to mention this, you know, it's the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the foundation of America is community based. And here in the South, you know, it is uh, on the, the, the Bible, hands down, it's a, it's a Christian foundation. I call my church first, man, because 
when somebody needs a meal, they walk down to the church, the church gives them a meal. When somebody doesn't know what to do when they have an, uh, 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 you know, a unknown pregnancy, they walk down to our church, the church handles it. That's the first place I called during the whole COVID deal was how are we going to respond? And, uh, and, that's what, and that's where me and Martin Luther King, we had the same biblical worldview. And, and one of his deals was, you know, it's not the, he literally said it ain't the people who outright reject you like that of the KKK. It's, it's the, it's, it's the, well, he said the white moderate, you know, I, the, he, he had to use race at the time. I don't choose to, but this is his words, meaning the people who are just a, a firm status quo. And like you're saying, voting every four years, uh, status quo, but man, I challenge the church. So that's the most, that's the foundation that undergirds all of Western civilization is the biblical worldview. And that's why I call my pastor first. I literally said, I don't care what the president says. I don't care what the governor says. I don't care what my mayor, I don't care what you say. And what are we going to do to make a difference? And, uh, this is an opportunity to make a difference, Nick. So I was so glad you texted me tonight. I'm glad to talk with you about this. I've missed these conversations. Football championships, man, I've said this before. I, honestly, everyone can have those, man. Those train rides, we had another good one on the bus when we went paintballing up in Calgary. Yep. Yes. I, I remember that time more than I remember my pregame at the Grey Cup, man. I remember talking with Deron and you and like those talk like Deron. When I saw Deron a few years back when I was let go from Montreal, he ran across and said, Fair, man, I need you in the locker room, dog. These people don't know what they're talking about. I need you. <laughs> I'm like, man, I love you, man. I love you, bro. <laughs> like, but yeah, good. that's what that's it's the, about, man. Dude, speaking of that, like, we went out to Calgary for that week and we went paintballing out, out there um, near Cochrane or on the other side of Cochrane. And just seeing the mountains and seeing everything. That was your first time out there, huh? Yes, it was. And, and, and dude, that, that trip was just incredible. And thank you for setting that up, bro. That was, yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm just, we're all a bunch of kids playing football anyways, but it's, I'm here telling you that, man, I like that, I like that field trip to Calgary to play paintball more than I did the game. <laughs> and it's because I'm, I'm with, I'm with my brothers, man, like straight up, like, any of those guys who rode that bus, they can call me any time. I'm, I'm there, man, yeah. any, any which way. And, that, and that's what it's about. And that's ultimately what you said from the beginning, man, is just, uh, you know, when people talk about unity, I mean, I say love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, what's the two greatest commandments? To love your God with all your heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. It's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm commanded to do. That's why yeah. I choose a Calgary paintball trip even over a football game sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we got to experience so many moments, man. But – I appreciate your your look, your viewpoint, and sharing that with everyone. Let's go to where you started, McClinney, Florida. Where is that in Florida? And what was it like McClinney, going up there? Yeah, so McClinney is area code 904, so you people go, Duval. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this is funny. This is funny that I'm, I'm, I'm Baker County. I'm right next to Duval, but – uh, McClendy, Florida is the country part, nothing, it's swamp, and it's got the Okefenokee Swamp and Osceola Forest, man, and then we got, we're a one-county high school, but we play in the Jacksonville district, so we're the, we're the people, we're, you know, we're those country folks out in the sticks, yeah. and uh, a, a tight-knit community, man, and, and not to go back into everything we've talked about, but a lot of my upbringing is that I have realized in Baker County, Florida, and in, that it, it was a unique upbringing, man. Like the strife, I know there was always racial tension because, once again, we agree that's always going to be the case. But that's not how I grew up, man. Like, dude, 
I know what it's like being a white guy going to an all-black neighborhood and vice versa. That's just the way we grew up in Baker County. So I remember talking to just teammates through the years, and they're like, that ain't the way it is everywhere. I said, well, it was in Baker County, and that's country and southern as it gets. But uh, it was. The one county high school is such a real brotherhood and community still there. I tell you this, like church, Nick, we go once every Sunday night. Our church, which is mostly white, we're not a white church, but, you know, it's, that's yep. culturally that's, that's how people is, yeah. go. It's, it's what it is. That's not a negative thing. But once once a month, we go and have service with the black church because my dad is good friends with the black pastor. They went to school together. They were there during the 60s and all that stuff. So I grew up being intermingled and not looking at it. So I had a unique upbringing that I thank the Lord for all the time. Football-wise, though, it wasn't as uh, – it wasn't as a good situation. People just didn't go to college from my town, man. I mean, uh, so I had to walk on to Troy University as a quarterback in 2005. Uh, well, you played quarterback. But in, I did, yeah, man. I went to I went to uh, Troy as a quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I played – oh, let me get some CFL shout-outs. So uh, the district I played in was uh, with Clarence Denmark and played at my rival mm-hmm. high school. You know, everyone in CFL should know him. Yeah. He was at my rival high school. Uh you know, I played against Tebow in high school. Uh, you know, I know there's countless other names, but I'm going to forget. But Clarence, I want to give a shout-out to him because that dude was a baller. Yeah, he uh, was. Yeah. But then then I went on to uh, Troy University after that, and Troy was awesome. That's where I met my wife. That was another just a family. It was a smaller D1 school. It's a family environment, man. If there was one word I could describe Troy with, it would be family. And yeah. once again uh, – and this moment in time, too, I, I miss all those teammates because we would have stood strong, bro. Like, we wouldn't have been rattled at all right now. Yeah. But what, what, what's encouraging, Nick, is even thinking of yourself or those teammates I just referred to at Troy, I know their stance on these issues. So we're the people who can make the positive difference, man. Don't let the rioters hijack the issue. Don't let the, the, the status quo, content, power, you know, uh, entities hold on it's us that makes the difference so but back to football journey uh i was at troy man and and uh that was fantastic played in the sun belt and played with a lot of good players how what at what point did you switch over from quarterback to uh linebacker oh that was pretty quick that was my freshman year when we had the, uh like nine quarterbacks come in and i found out too man i'm, I'm pretty self-aware I'm like, man, I can't. I can throw the ball as far as these guys can, but I don't have the release to get this ball off the way they're getting the ball off. Yeah. So they wanted me to. Go, they let. They they wanted me to go to fullback. Uh, uh during uh, camp my freshman year, and I'm like, nah, man, put me at linebacker. And uh, <laughs> and and I I, I I I wanted to play safety, but I was behind what would end up being two NFL safeties. Sherrod Martin was there, and Brandon Conjure, and both guys drafted and went the NFL so I saw that position I'm like now nah, I gotta make a business decision I gotta get a little closer <laughs> to the line th- th- that's where I'd end up anyways at some point so I just yeah. think it's cool that you and Tebow played against each other as two quarterbacks in high school yeah like you were yep. probably one of the bigger guys on your high school team how big were you in high school that's right man you know I was about my same size now man I was 205 pounds as a senior so yeah in my huddle stature wise I definitely love the college athlete, right? Like this guy's a college athlete. And that, and uh, and then Tebow on the other side, Bill, when they came, man, we used to beat Nice by 40 every year. They came in for a jamboree. And, man, that jerker was 
back eight yards deep and shotgun like the New York. I felt like that, the movie, Remember the Titans. Like, who are these Jets? You know, because they were like, it was crazy. People weren't doing that kind of offense. And I was playing safety in that first play, man. I ran around for at least six real seconds, which is an eternity. I could be a long night. But uh, yeah, that we play, and I played against him in college too, uh, down in Florida, which was cool. But uh, when he was at Florida, we were more worried about Percy Harvin than we were oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> Percy's a, but, hey, he was an animal out there. Yeah, but Troy, man, I played with a lot of CFL players. Uh, Kenny Manor, defensive end for the Winnipeg Blue Bomb. Yep. That dude, that dude was a great football like player. Kenny. Yeah, Brandon Lang was with Edmonton for a few years, defensive end. You might remember him, maybe not. Yeah, uh, I think Kenny Manor was my teammate in Calgary for a year before he went to Winnipeg. Maybe so. Then you also remember Kevin Dixon. Yep, Kevin Dixon was a teammate yep. of mine. I played, I played Kevin Dixon. Brandon Boudreaux played with Hamilton defensive end for yep. several years. He came to Calgary, uh, yeah. Yeah, he. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that was my D-line. I mean, and the, and the one I didn't mention is Steve McLennan, who's still starting most tackle, I want to say, for the Jets right now. So my, my junior year defense at Troy, even though some of us left the next year like myself, all 11 guys had NFL contracts off of that defense, man. It was a, oh, wow. It was a, yeah, dude, it was a rare moment moment in time for Troy. We won the Sun Belt five years in a row, but that one group, dude, it was an absolute just talented group. And, uh, yeah. Few teams How was the that, fan so. turnout? Like, because, you know, in great. Alabama, like, it's it's huge football, right? So... Oh, yeah. And, That's I mean, UAB, Auburn, Alabama, they're, they're, like, always good football teams, and they get a lot of great fan support. So, how was Troy? Yeah, that's a group. That's a great question, man. Troy, very similar to the CFL, man. We about twenty to twenty-six thousand. That's what it was. So in our years of winning, where we didn't lose at home ever over those few years, we'd have probably about twenty-four thousand, twenty-five thousand, and the stadium only seats thirty. So you cover up a few seasons of packed house, and you could probably attest to this, at least with my own experience. I played in front of a hundred and four thousand up in uh, Ohio State. Yeah. But if you got a pack, if you got a packed house and it's only twenty thousand, a packed house feels like there's a hundred thousand people. Yeah, you know, you go out, Especially you go out those these intimate stadiums. Yeah, intimate. So man, it was fantastic. Very much a family atmosphere. I mean, my nieces, I got nine nieces. They all grew up coming to Troy games, and uh, you know, there was a whole family experience. It was about five hours from McClendon, Florida, but it, it was awesome. Man, really a family atmosphere. It's great. So let's go WWE. Mm. You big WWE fan growing up? Without a doubt, and uh, I was I was I was in the WCW uh, tribe though, man. That was where that's where I, I watched all of mine. So while everyone was watching Stone Cold, uh, uh, brother Mark, Pastor Mark, my dad, we weren't watching Stone Cold, man. We had, we had to watch WCW, watch Steam, man. We couldn't watch Stone <laughs> Cold in the house. <laughs> so you know, uh, but well, WCW grew up watching even before that, man. You know. Uh, before Hollywood Hogan, Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, WWF, the Federation days. exactly, the Federation days. Those are. And it's funny, at Troy, man, it's funny you mentioned that. One of my teammates is named Wyndham Rotunda. Uh, people of WWE know him as Bray Wyatt. Yeah. He headline WrestleMania a couple times. And uh, that was my teammate and friend at Troy. Was, oh, uh, awesome. And his dad, yeah, his dad was Mr. IRS. And his uncle was Barry Wyndham of, you know, WWF. Okay, yeah. Yeah, man. So got got a, got some, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of WWE. Uh, uh, can we get can we get the Macho Man? Can we get the Macho Man real quick? 
Oh yeah, we, we, I actually, I, that's right, man. I actually didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming. But I'm too hot to handle. And I'm too cold to hold, brother. The sky's the limit. Exit stage left. Exit stage right. There's only one way out, and it's through me. And the cream always rises to the top, brother. You see it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Staring at cream. I used to love like, that. You used to get in the middle. Oh, you used to get in the middle. You used to get that thing turning. Yeah. I, I don't know where to the top, brother. You gotta rise. Yeah, yeah, man, dude. I honestly, I mean, that really is. I didn't even say macho man. Like, all these, I just, that's my guy. I, I guess with everything we're talking about, I did not even see that question coming, man. That's that's <laughs> me, man. That's me. The cream of the crop. That was so much fun, man. Yeah, that was so much fun. I got I got to do some more stirring too, man. I signed this new two year con. I signed this new two year contract, man. I can't let a pandemic uh, retire me. That ain't, yeah. that ain't happening, bro. That yeah. ain't happening. That's awesome. Congratulations <laughs> on that, man. Just continue to grind and continue to do it, man. That's it's always a pleasure watching you play, man. Because you definitely put it all out there. And like my next question was that you're a great tackler, right? You, you're a smart player. You're very intelligent. You get a lot of picks because you know where to be. When did that start? Was it high school? Was it college? Was it the quarterback? Did the quarterback play a, learn the game from that view? Because I played quarterback my senior year, and it changed my whole life. Yeah. Right. You're right. It's funny. Uh, uh, kind of humorous. I take it as a very a compliment that you being such a intellectual and cerebral player asking me how I'm a cerebral player. So this is great stuff, man. Uh, Coach Lewis, that's right. Coach <laughs> Lewis. But, uh, <laughs> man, I, 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 this sounds crazy to answer it this way, but I've had it since I was even six when I started playing, man. I think I just, you, the nose for the ball thing, man. I, when I was six years old, my uncle would tell you, uh, I was playing with an eight-year-old back in McClenny and I uh, started a year early for the league because my uncle was coaching. But, man, I just had so much fun with the game. I don't think I've ever overthought the game, right? Like, my uncle, I, I remember, yeah, dude, I used to take the handoffs off in Little League, right? I'm six years old, the smallest guy on the field. I'm getting through there because I'm like, man, they're running the same three plays in a row. It's Little League. And even at six years old, I'm like, wait, one, two. I'm going to go right here on this play. And, I, and, like, they hand me the ball and I'm running. So, it that has always been that way. And uh, quarterback definitely helped once you get to the schematics of things. But, you know, what? Football really is repetitive, man. There's this is what teams do. Like it's it's gonna be a handful of stuff. If you can live through the one or two wrinkles they're gonna throw at you, it's gonna be. That's how I've been able to make plays is trusting my instincts, knowing that you know they're gonna you know they're gonna repeat what they do. If they've been successful, they're gonna repeat what they do. But it's really I love the game. I haven't overthought the game, Nick. Guys yeah. can go into a can go into a meeting room and you know this, but they can answer questions maybe a little better than I can. Uh, but they just their nerves get them when they get to the field. They have lost everything they was able to tell you in, in, on the whiteboard, and it's just an over. I just had too much fun playing, man. Like and and the tackling side of it, I pride myself more on my my lack of missed tackles and tackles. Your tackles, it depends on first of all the defensive scheme. It depends on what the opposing offense's game plan is. If you're even going to be in a position to make tackles. But it's that missed tackle category, man. That's the one that I probably they showed my tackle. I don't know how many missed tackles I got, which I already know. But uh, after a game, that's all attitude, man. It's all attitude because uh, you can't hesitate. 
And I remember when I came back and played Oliver last year, we were watching. I came off, you know, I was a backup. I came off the bench. I didn't take off to the play. Like, I'm making tackles from 15 yards away from guys in open field. And, dude, because I wasn't thinking about anything, bro. I was being able to play a game that I love that had been taken away from me. Now I'm back. It's just all attitude. Don't overthink. Don't think, react. That's what my older brother yeah. taught me. Don't think, react. Yeah, sports uses the opposite side of the brain, right? So it's really the reaction side. You can't be logical in sports. You have to train your body to do. Like people always say, why do you jump over people? I say, well, I don't think about it. Right. I train my body to do everything I need to do to be successful. Yeah. And then it's just, if I trained enough, if I did it the right way enough, my body will do what I needed to do when it's time to do it. Right? Most yeah. drop passes are from downfield because guys are thinking about the ball in the air. Most one-handed catches are from up close because it's a reaction. Oh, yeah. Right? So this is not a skill. A one-handed catch is not a skill. I mean, yeah, you can sit there and practice it and get better at it, but it's really a reaction. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you that, talk about that, don't that, think, just react. That's what it is. You, you, you're in a reaction sport, and I think you know, just in basketball, you can't think about a pass. You gotta, you gotta do it, or you're too late. At the professional level, it's so thin, mm-hmm. right? It's so thin of of making that play or not making that play. And and the smarter you are, gives you an advantage because you're gonna take better angles, mm-hmm. right? You're gonna put yeah. yourself in better positions. Right. That that's that's what's also great about football is that. It is a chess match until that ball snap. And then everything you just talked about, the jumping, the one-hand catch for me, the tackle, how I'm going to – am I going to rip through this block? Am I going to punch and scrape on this block? Like, I don't think about those things once the ball snaps. But beforehand, all the tendencies and all the film study that I've done, the down and distance, that's the most important thing in our sport. Down and di- Just tell me the down and distance. I ain't got to know anything else. Yeah. Uh, and basically – but but once the ball – to your point, all the training, man, all the practice. I mean, I, when people come, I train some kids and stuff, and, and we go to do uh, training out on the field, and I'm like, it's still a lot of pretty elementary stuff, but I still go over bags every single day when I'm, when I'm at practice. It's the same thing. I go over bags, laterals, forward, backwards, back pedal. The drills don't change. It's, but who can do on that ball snap, like you're saying, whose body reacts in the way that you've trained them to where you're able to compete? And you got to have, you know, God-given ability. But, but it's right, man. You just go from Pre-snap, you're using all of that collective uh, data that you've watched in the film room. But at the snap of the ball, man, it is primal instincts. Here we go. <laughs> at its best, the Roman Coliseum. You know, they, <laughs> talking about, they talk about making the game safer. You'll never make it safer, right? Our brains and our skulls, our brains will always move in our skull. Just like the battering ram, the brain is locked into a skull. It doesn't move. The, the woodpecker's tongue's wrapped around its brain, so it doesn't move on impact. Our brains will always move, so you can't make the game safer. I equate it to telling people you're making the game safer is like saying two Roman fighters, we're not going to sharpen the knives or the swords. Somebody's still going to die. Right? I like that. Right, this is, yep. I want to go more towards the education of healing the brain and growing the brain. I'm working with some people right now on some of those things, but, you know, how do you feel about that? You know, just thinking about seeing, you know, some of the guys, older guys, the troubles they go through. Does that ever enter your mind? Because linebackers, 
I think the interior, the, the box, the box guys have it the worst, right? Because there is a lot of yep. collisions and, and things like that. Yep. Does that ever factor in your mind or? Oh, I can, I can, uh, first of all, yeah, I'm glad you're out speaking on it because you understand it, right? You even, you talked to me about that years ago, right? Before people were even discussing the movement of the brains. And I, th I think you might've been one to tell me that, uh, and I've heard it now, but you know, the, when you hit the turf, like after contact, that brain rattles that, you yep. know, as a receiver, you go like that. I mean, you're up woozy from that as opposed to taking a solid hit. Sometimes it's just, so I'm glad you're speaking on those issues. Uh, I'm going to bewilder people every time they ask me this, but man, I made my mind up personally, this sovereign individual, Bear Woods, created in the image of God. <laughs> I, made my, I made my mind up when I was 18 that I was willing to go play football in Europe for frozen pizzas, and I didn't care if I couldn't look over my shoulder when I was 40 years old. I made that decision. So before mm. anyone was talking about class action lawsuits with concussions and all of this and that, I had already made my decision. I'm going to put my body on the line because I love this game so much. Yeah. And people can say that's crazy, but that was me. So since we've, we've come so far with the concussions that guys need to be aware. So I think at this point, you can't tell me guys aren't aware that every time you hit your face on something that you're going to have some brain movement and some, some uh, you know, things down the road that could, that could surface, right? I think there's yeah. enough information out there for guys to consciously make a decision. And then I questioned guys. She was like, I have no idea this is happening. Dude, you're smashing your face into another grown man. Do you think <laughs> this is actually – like, I don't like working from the premise that, well, I didn't know. Like, dude, come Ignorance. on, man. Yeah, dude, like, I'm not buying that. And if and if you really felt that way, give me your car keys. You shouldn't be even driving in public, man. <laughs> like, so I, I don't like the fact how it's changed the game so much, man. Uh, you know, there's no intimidation factor. Bro, I pull up YouTube <laughs> – of you blocking people on that waggle <laughs> and I and I I'm the guy like you pull up you pull up those videos now man half the big wigs and suit coats and any Lee will be like oh that's just not how you play football I'm here going this is when football was played man <laughs> but you know what there's an intimidation to football that before the snap like dude I used to love just hitting receivers coming across the middle when they didn't have the ball when the ball was overthrown but it's just setting the tone yeah. So I miss those days, man. And then, but I'm not for dirty shots, man. I'm I'm for yeah. the, it's like, it's like twofold. There's a limit. My limit's probably higher than other people's Nick, but I don't like low hits, late hits, all of yeah. that. That's garbage, man. The minute the whistle's over, I'm I'm through with that. You know, like that, that's not, that's not sportsmanship, but the intimidation factor is like in hockey, that's part of the game where it was in my mind, which yeah. is okay. Uh, so all in all, I don't like the way the game – I'm actually a little embarrassed that I'm going to look back and say under my tenure and the greatest sporting game ever created that it has been softened to the point that if I – can you hear this? Can you hear that? Can you hear that right now? <laughs> I'm myself. That's a 15-yard penalty on a quarterback, but he has a helmet on. But if I do that, it's going to prolong the drive, which can change the game. That is yeah. manly. That is – bonkers that is not football man yeah you know so, and i think it's out of i truly believe that these people in these high positions fear that kids are going to stop playing the game and instead of taking the initiative of let's educate parents and kids on how you can grow the brain and heal the brain because if i tell you right now like i went through brain training in my last two years and in five months, the one year, 
my peripheral vision, my reaction time, my memory, my recall, all this improved uh, 65% in five months of work. So therefore, if there are specialists that can help us get it back to where we need to be, why should you be scared? You can fall in a sinkhole, you can, your airbag can come out, something can happen, right? You can go skiing and fall, anything can happen. So don't fear the game, but until they start to educate the people on these issues, it's going to be the same thing. You're just going to get softer, 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 instead of saying, here's the answers. Here's the solution, right? It's just like you can't play a whole season without going to work out. That's what we're doing to our brains. We're playing through seasons, and our brain's going down, just like our body would go down, but we work out to repair it and rebuild it. And when you start doing that with your brain during the season, it's not going to go down, down, down. You're going to start coming back up some, start coming back up some, right? So there is hope. It's just going to take the right people in place to choose education over fear. I mean, everything that we don't know is scary, right? The boogeyman was Mm -hmm. scary at some point. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. That's all tremendous. And this is what will better the game. And I would say if you haven't, been in contact with and or had the opportunity to speak with the uh, CFLPA about this. This is I'm kind of I was kind of jogging back and forth with who would actually take this initiative. I think it would start with us, the players, to say yeah. let's let's figure out how we want to because that's all. You're exactly right. I don't. I have no evidence to debate you on this or to disagree or agree <laughs> with you. But everything you but everything you just said makes logical <laughs> sense. And, and I have enough life experience in the sport to know well that's pretty logical that the brain can heal. And how do I know the brain can heal? And they just have Nick's telling me, because if I get a concussion, they'll say, hey, you can play in seven to 14 days. So it tells me my brain's healing, obviously. So they, there's obviously, uh, that's a lot of good stuff to come into. But the game itself, though, this is the dicey part to me, is that even, yeah, I get what you're saying. They don't want kids. It's a fear factor, right, uh, yeah. of, of families not wanting their kids to be in. And, and, and if they want the sport to live, live on, which I do, uh, yeah, we need this type of education on how to, the brain should recover. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't like the oh, – I'm a union guy. i got to be careful. You're on the front lines uh, of it, too. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's the grievance nature of making a voluntary decision to participate in something and then to turn around and say, well, this happened to me. I was unaware. That's what I meant earlier. And the PA took initiative. Uh, to, to make sure everyone is aware and yeah. to make sure that guys aren't. But, dude, I got, like, I know you do. Man, I got concussion stories. For you, bro, I don't even remember the Eastern Finals from two years ago. If you, Can I share a funny football story? I mean, Let's is, do it. what we're talking about? All right, man. So check this out. My man, I'm going to mess his name up, dude. Oh, man. Makana Henry from Sask. Mac. Makana, what? Just call him Mac. Mac Henry. Yeah. Makana. Today, that's, much, that's much easier. So yeah, like, you know, Matt Henry. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt, Henry, Matt Henry's my dude, man. Never he's my dude. Uh, so he was on, he's on the wedge. No one hits this man all year. No Ooh, one hits this you man. You didn't hit him on the wedge. Right? Oh man, check it out. You can go look at the film. So no one hit. Everyone jumps out of the way of this guy. And me, being who I am, I tell. Uh, I think Mark Moneyball was next to me on the kickoff. All week I told the linebacker, I'm saying I'm going to set the tone from the open. I hope we kick off first. 
I'm going to catch him slipping because no one hits this man. I'm coming to hit him. So all week they know I'm going to do this. So all eyes are on me. I run down on that opening kickoff against Seth. And I'm not going to go on here and I give him the boom. And I hit him. The dude knocks me out, bro. I'm standing up, like, wobbled on film. I did not see the guy. Like, I'm, I'm completely knocked out. And, and all I remember him doing is slapping on the head going, bam, great hit, bam, yeah. I like, love the fact that I hit him. I was concussed. We went on the field. I was concussed for most of that first half. I ran a wrong blitz because they're having to tell me what plays to run throughout the game. I ran one wrong blitz that led to uh, KG throwing us a pick to uh, uh, Terrence Plummer, who ran a touchdown. But, like, I was out there doing my own thing. I was concussed off because I wanted to hit Matt Henry. Mm. And uh, I, I suffered the consequences. But he doesn't know that story. <laughs> but you can see me on film, but I was knocked out. And, and your boy was tripping. But yeah. Matt's a good dude. He's a great oh, dude, that's actually. Awesome. That's I, I've, great. Seen, I, I've heard stories where he actually – he saw a teammate push a girl. And he went over there and and basically pushed the teammate back. So you put your hands on her again, I'm kicking your ass. Like, he don't take none of that. My guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's such a good dude. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Charles have been doing some bullying stuff, and he, he's been a part of it as well. Um, oh, great. Definitely uh, interesting story as well, right? Um, hopefully, I'll get him on there too so he can tell his story because he's got yeah. a very, I've, very I've, different past. I've read his story, man. I knew it beforehand. And like I say, anyone who's going to congratulate me for hitting him, <laughs> this guy's awesome, man. <laughs> Great hit, man. And dude, it was when he slapped me, he gave me that Deacon Jones slap. And like you see me on film, like I'm off to one side. Like I can't even like uh yeah, I wasn't even in the huddle with the defensive huddle. That's that's great stuff. You know, I speaking of my best Oh go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, it's all good. No, no, I was gonna say, like, speaking of concussions, like even knowing more of the brain, you know, the, the front, we have the largest frontal lobe because it's our present memory, right? Present and future thinking comes from the front. That's why we have the largest of any animal. That's why we can outthink any other on the planet, right? But that's mm-hmm. our present memory. So it depends on where you take your hits. Like this is your long-term memory on the side. So if you actually get concussed on the sides, you actually lose long-term memory. If you get concussed in the front, you use your present memory your balance comes up top, right? You actually see from the back of your brain, mm-hmm. right? So depends on where you take these hits too. So when they're doing concussion right. tests, like I used to always tell SAS in Montreal, I said, you can do concussion tests all you want, but until you put together a system where you can actually see where they took the initial shot, where the brain contacted the skull, and then there's gotta be criteria to that. <clears throat> Right, because you take where are you at? I'm in Montreal. Where? What's your number? I'm I'm 48. What is your this? You know, you know that because you didn't affect this, but you affected the sides, which is your long-term memory, where you might have forgot something in the past. You that, see what I'm that's saying? That's all I do, and that just all makes sense. I'm sitting here thinking about my own experiences of when I got hit. As you're talking about, bro, I like most football players. Uh, I can give you literal hits to to validate what you just said. When I got concussed on top, and I'm not going to mention team, nothing like that, but I got hit right here with my head straight down. And, and dude, I went on – I had teammates get me up off the field. I went on to play the rest of the series, the next seven plays. Played my best man cover I've ever played in my life. Didn't even – I don't had no recollection of it until I watched them. But by halftime, Nick, 
they took me in there and I, or, or when they brought me to the side, I, I came to it. I answered all those questions, man. I can answer everything they said. They still kept me out of the game. And I was so mad, dude, because I was, tra- I was chasing that tackle crown, man. I was so See, mad. A, but That's a part of the awareness and that's a part of the education. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you can remember now or you can remember, you know, the different parts of the brain going to do different things and circuits different, yeah. right? So that's a part of the education that people need to know. Yeah, that's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we do think we're okay, right? I've hit the ground a couple times and like shook my head, like see little stars, shake your head. I'm okay. Oh, yeah. I, I remember what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. But until you learn the education of it, then. But that's the the dangerous part, and that's where I feel like the education, just like we and everything we've talked about today, is all about education. Mm-hmm. That's it. Getting the proper really education mm-hmm. to to do yeah. what you need to do. Well, let's go into um, you leaving Troy. Did you know you were playing pro football? Or how oh, did, man. That, how did yeah. that come out? That wasn't a doubt in my mind when I was a kid, man. Reggie White was my favorite football player as a young, young kid. And uh, he was a preacher and NFL player. So that's what I want to do, man. I want to preach the gospel and I want to be a NFL football player. So, yeah, that was my goal, man. You know, my Troy experience was uh, I was a walk-on. I, my biggest accomplishment in my own football career would be my freshman year at Troy. I came in with 31 other scholarships. I wasn't scholarship, but 31 scholarship athletes. And I was one of three to make the travel team. Uh, you know, I'm just this long-haired surfer-looking dude. I didn't have dreads in. Quarterback move linebacker. And I made that travel roster. And that's probably my, one of my most proud accomplishments was that year. But then after that, man, I had to <clears> – <throat> I was registered in my next year when a new coaching staff came in and Make a long story short, man, I won one year. I was like, man, I did great in all my strength. It's like this, you know, this the people who know you're a baller before the coach is always your teammates, man. Yeah. Like my teammates, my teammates couldn't wait till I got on the field, man. They couldn't wait. And it was always crazy. Even the ones who were starting, you know, they couldn't wait. But I ended up starting my junior year. I dreaded my hair. I came back once uh, went for training camp, and I had dreads. I had a buddy who was starting that linebacker. He's like, they straight up the coaches asked me, who you want to start linebacker with bear this other guy and he's like man bear like and then from that point on nick i started and we were able to play some troy plays some of the hardest opponents well now we don't which is unfortunate but like our out of conference games when i played if we had four of them it would be against them one year ohio state lsu florida and then our other game would be like a uh bowling green so which is still a a competitive bowl team uh we always we always play this with Troy, like, even though we might have a nine-win season, well, four of our losses, bro, are going to be against <laughs> the best. So, you know, and, and, and you remember Dan LaFever, we met them in the yeah. bowl game once, and, 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 and Central Michigan under that coach, then they were the same way. They're out of conference games for just against, you know, BCS-eligible teams. So that team that Dan was on that year, uh, which included uh, the the receiver from who was with Pittsburgh for all those years, uh, Oh, Brown. Um, Tony was, yeah, 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 exactly. He was on there. Uh, a whole lot of NFL. Between our two teams, man, there was, I want to say, there like 16 NFL players on that whole game field. Oh, wow. But uh, but that gave me the the chance to get seen by, uh, you know, the pro scouts to say, well, Bear did go down to LSU to defending champs and absolutely dog those guys, man. They did not want to see me. And uh, so that that helped me uh, get to the NFL. I signed his own draft of free agents to Atlanta. That was great. Those two training camps, I never got to play in a real NFL game. 
uh, that bothered me for a while, but then it didn't after just my absolute enjoyment in the CFL. Uh, and, and it goes back to this, man. My, my teammates in Atlanta, my second training camp, you know, hoping that I'd make the roster out of camp, not practice roster again. I do my own linebackers. They were congratulating me after that last preseason game. Like, bro, you earned this, man. Congrats to you. Because they're like, there's no way that Barry ain't making this team. <laughs> well, I did, and I ended up going to the Montreal and uh, meeting Mark Trestman, Jim Pop, guys that I absolutely owe, you know, so much to to stick with me. Jim Pop being the, the guy, you know, probably the most. Uh, but that's how I ended up getting to Montreal with that uh, when 2011. Yeah. And uh, – and then I was kind of uh, to jump to the CFL. I'm guessing that's where we're going next. You know, I was kind of an unknown uh, roster name for many years, and that was due to injury. Uh, 2011, I started in the Eastern Finals. They told me an hour before kickoff, but uh, will you play with me? So you know me that I'm going to apply myself, man. When I got to Montreal, bro, I didn't leave my apartment. I didn't go up St. Laurent, uh, St. Catherine. I didn't go down to, to Old Port, man. I went to my room. And I studied my playbook where if I had one opportunity, I wasn't going to squander my opportunity because my dad and my mom have sacrificed too much of their time for my journey. You know, yeah. my older brothers, my siblings, like there was no way. I didn't care if I was in Canada or 10 bucks too, man. I'm going to have an opportunity to play football. I'm going to be ready. And and when I, when they told me before the Eastern final, they like, Sassy said, there's a 99.9% chance you're not going to play. Ramon Guzman is going to be good. I'm like, all right. But still, me, I got to the big to Olympic Stadium four hours before kickoff, just in because case. Because you had the chance, yeah. I had my chance, and I wanted to play. And I, I remember coming in there. Ramon did his. I went and watched him do his own field workout. He looked good to me. And so I'm like, oh, I won't play, but I'm glad he gets to play because this is his team. You know, you come in as a practice roster guy. You don't have the same camaraderie, which is fine. You're not going to because those guys have been through so much. I was glad he could play. Well, I walk into the locker room. Uh, there's no jersey in my locker. I put myself down again or whatever. I went to the restroom. I came back. I had a jersey in my locker with my name on it. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> then my linebacker coach came to me. He's like, oh, you're playing. You're up. He was scared to death, bro. <laughs> he was scared to death. <laughs> like, oh, man. And you know how this is, man. Like, these coaches come to these young guys who have to play for the first time. They're like, oh, you've been training for this. You're ready for it. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. And all they're bringing to you is just this negative energy of just they are completely on edge that you're about to have to play for them. It's like, dude, no, you relax, man. It's like, I got this. <laughs> I got this. I've man. been like, preparing for this I, moment for longer than you think. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. And uh, but we took the field, man, and, and I got to look uh, looking back that game. That game, even though it was a shootout, they we gave up 50 points, and I had some good plays, some not so good plays, but I knew my defense, man. I vividly remember that game and playing with John and Anwar and Diamond Ferry, like all these guys, uh, Marco, uh, Marco, all these guys, man, that whole team. But that set up my next year because, bro, that was my one opportunity. They fired the whole staff on defense. They brought in Jeff Rombold. Jeff Rombold came to me. He put on three plays. He said, this is why you're here, man. Look at this. People don't tackle this way. People don't play. And I'm like, you ain't thinking anything. He said something out. No, no, you ain't thinking anything. I'm like, no, he said exactly. <laughs> so that gave me my 2012, Nick. I'm going to try to speed up a little bit. 2012, I came in to be, you know, your designated import guy. Yep. And I tore my I tore my Liz Frank in my foot my first preseason game. Missed mm. the whole entire 2012 season. So I missed the whole 2012 season. But Jim and Mark kept me on the team, man, because they had saw enough. Jim saw me in Atlanta for two years. And he's like, 
I never saw someone, you know, uh, this, this, this validated my NFL experience, by the way, was having Jim publicly say, I've never saw someone produce for two years at a, on an NFL team and not make a team. And he said, that's yeah. fair. And he's like, we're not letting this guy go. Because they, they would ask him every year about the roster. Who's this bear guy? But come 2013, this bear guy who's no one's even seen, but in the Eastern final one time. So I wasn't in Canada in 2012. I went home. Uh, so they're like, 2013, this bear guy's back again. So he's had to answer this question about the linebacker core, you know. 2013, I, I tear my quad in, in the first preseason game. And I, they had the nine game then, so I missed nine games. Came back after that. And, and bro, I had... 13 special team tackles in eight games. So that's legitimate stats. I mean, people hope to end with 13 tackles in the yeah. season. And I, and I was out there, uh, and, you know, you earn some credibility real quick on special teams. Like, you ain't trying to block this guy, you know. Yep. Uh, so that was that, that that was me in 13. Uh, so people seen enough of me around the league with that. And uh, the next year, Shea Emery went to Toronto, which opened up an American spot for the linebacking core. And Jim – you know, and Jim had this look at Ishley, look at Brendan Whitaker, all these guys who are practice roster for years in uh, Montreal that end up getting a job. Jim was such a loyal guy. He trusted his scouting. Yep. And it's just proof when you look across the league on what he's done. But I, that was my next year in 2014. So I go in there to be the starter. I pull my hamstring the first day of camp. And they six game me. I missed the first six games of the year in 2014. He still became a CFL All-Star, though. Exactly, man, because during this whole time, man, I never feel sorry for myself. You know, I, I know the Bible tells me, man, you're going to have pains, you're going to have struggles, but hold steadfast, use this as, as, as an opportunity for joy. Trust that when, you're in, when your endurance uh, flourishes, that it will carry you to the end. That's me, man. Like, any opportunity that goes down is even like what's going on now, everyone sees it as a negative opportunity, man. It's an opportunity for leaders to lead, man, to bring the yeah. positive out in people, you know, to – that's the way I applied my football career. So 14 came out. We were on a Western trip, and Noel Thorpe came to me. He said, all right, it's your time, man. You're the guy. Because I didn't know they were going to start me or not. I haven't proved anything to start. Our defense was still, I want to take like number one or number two in the league at that point, even though our offense, I don't even know if they came to the game sometimes. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's true. But, uh, but I, I, I ended up getting out there, and, 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 and quite honestly, even Little League, it's my Troy stat. Even though limited, bro, it's that's what I love about football is I can I can say this. When I go on the field, I make more tackles than anybody else. My problem is that I have had some unfortunate injuries in my pro career and I didn't get on the field in Troy until my junior year. But when I go on the field, I just make more tackles than people than than people. And I did that in two thousand fourteen, like I've done my whole life. And it was an awesome year. We made it to the to the uh semifinals against Hamilton and uh and it was just a special year and that brought up to so I, I, Eastern Player of the Year, 12 games, 89 tackles, uh, several picks. You know, I want to say I had like eight sacks in 12 games, all these crazy numbers. Yeah. Uh, let, me ju- let me just say that's because Alan Michael Cash, one of the most underrated <laughs> players ever. Cash ever, money. man. Cash money, dude. Like, hey, right now in my living room, if, if Alan Michael Cash showed up to my house, my dear brother, Alan Michael Cash, and said, Bear, you know what? You've had your Eastern Player of the Year trophies long enough. I'm ready to take them. I said, <laughs> brother, they were never mine. They were never mine to begin with. They are yours. You can have them. You can just take a picture with me before you take them. But they're his trophies, man. So that's, that's awesome. the team sport. I just, I just want to give a shout out to him. Like without a doubt, that's what it. Uh, I was able to do that in 14. 
15, I tear my pick the second game of the year versus Calgary, missed the entire season. 16, I come back. Yep, I tear my pick that entire season. 16, come back, uh, able to start, stayed healthy for 17 games, was able to set the franchise record in tackles that year. And uh, and then just had such high hopes the next year to come back and, and, and play ball at 17. And really, you know, having had a, my first full healthy season, 17 games healthy. And uh, but then that led to Toronto, you know, the first day of camp. How, hold on. Before we go to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. I know I was pissed off. SJ was pissed off. I know a lot of people were pissed off when you got released to Montreal. Yeah. One, we were pissed off you got released when it shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Two, the way it happened. Yeah. What was it, the first or second day of camp or something like that? That's right, yeah. First day. Or say, yeah, yeah, yeah the, sec- the second day. Second day of camp, yeah. Yeah. How do you, you want feel me to about speak that? on that? Yeah, but so you want yeah. me to speak if on you that? want to. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, if you want to, I mean, that just – that irritates me. <clears throat> To treat someone that's like you've been there for six years, you 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 put everything into it, you've constantly overcame things, and you've constantly been there. You're coming off of your best season as a professional, and they mm-hmm. cut you, and you drove from Alabama to Montreal. Right. <laughs> yeah. If they wanted to release you, they could release you in the off season. It wasn't yeah. like you went out there and didn't perform on the first day of training camp. Right. Well, who gets cut? Uh, but we, even if I didn't perform, even if I went out there and I looked like, uh, you know, the little giants on the first day of camp, that ain't – you don't release the guy on the first day. That's just not why I was released, <laughs> you know, so whatever the reason. But that wasn't because of anything on the first day of training camp. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'll speak to that, man. It was uh, – you know, when I come up to Canada – Every season, I'm at a spiritual high with my walk with Christ, man, because I teach a Sunday school class. I'm in the Word, just I've, just like football, how you're ascending or descending every day in football. You either get better or you get worse. Same as your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ, man, is that if you read your Bible, stay disciplined. If you're in prayer, you know, if you keep the cloudiness of, of sinful temptations out of your life consistently, you're going to continue to ascend. But the day you don't read your Bible, you descend it a little bit. So it's just like football, the spiritual walk with Christ. So when I come to Canada, I'm on a spiritual high, man, because I have just been disciplined in church. You know, uh, it's just out of spiritual high. So when Cavis told me that that morning, uh, well, Eric Delore knocked on my door at like 5.15, and, and you know this. I Dude, I wake, I'll go work out of the gym at 5.15 in the morning. Like, I'm already awake. That's when I get my workout in, like in the 5 o'clock hour. So I get a knock on the door. I'm like, yo, you can come in. You know I'm up. <laughs> and he comes in my room, and he's like, you know, emotional. And I'm like, I say, E, dog, for real? He didn't even say anything. He just knocked on my door, door and, and it was him. I'm like, bro, for real? And he just nods and said, I said, I, I said let, let me get a shower. I'll be down there. So Cavis just, he doesn't tell me anything, honestly. He doesn't tell me anything. He just, you know, nods this. And I said, I told him, I said, Cavis, you know, I wish y'all the best. I said, I'm going to be praying for both of y'all. I know this is kind of a big moment because this is his first time being a GM. I just thought I'd be praying for him, man. Like, I, I appreciate my team so much. But then what hurt me looking back on my drive was then he didn't let me come see all y'all, man. Like, I wasn't allowed to go see anybody. They already had my – I know they pack everyone's stuff up, but I just assumed that they know I was, you know, <clears throat> mature enough to be able to go and shake the hands of people that I have been with for years, man. You were the leader of that defense. Yeah, man, just selective captain, you know, like a captain of this team for several years. And uh, 
you're just a mainstay. And I have friends for life off of those teams. But they didn't allow me to do that, man. Like they, they shooed me out of the door, which I'm like, well, that's the business. And and I don't really take anything personal. If I do, it ain't long at all, you know, once in my anger, my temp down. But I was on a spiritual high, man. I literally told the dude, I'm going to pray for y'all. I wish y'all the best. And he wouldn't talk to me, man. So I'm like, I know this is tough, but if you want to call me in a week or so and just catch up, you know, if you can talk then, I'm, you know, if you can give me a call. So I'm telling him he can call me if, to make him feel better, but he's releasing me. So uh, I, I, I chalk that up to just my spiritual walk, man. I left this part out in there. When Derek knocked on my door, I walked to the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and said, Lord, I've never doubted your will. Thou will be done. Let's get rolling. And uh, so I was, that all happened. And so, of course, all my way, man, I just made it to Vermont with my cell phone tower clipped over and my main man, Jim Pop, called me, which I was hoping, I anticipated maybe uh, he would. Uh, tell me if you got the video. There we go. And, uh, he called me, wanted me to come straight to Toronto. Well, I was so upset because I love Montreal so much, man. I yeah. loved it. I mean, the, the fans, the city. My my daughter had spent more time in Montreal than she had in Alabama, you know. Uh, so I told him, I said, I got to get home to my wife. And maybe there's a little bit of the veteran side of me saying, I ain't trying to come do training camp either. <laughs> <laughs> you already know what I can do. So you, you're not bringing me in for training camp. You already know. Hey, hey, Straight up, you know what's funny about my years with uh the, the my years where I win those awards or even in seventeen I missed that training camp too. It's the third we're talking about now. I only missed the last. Day. When I don't have a training camp, I set records. So I need to let my current coaching staff know this. Like, hey man, if y'all <laughs> want me to come out and be my best, y'all just know all this. I don't care if we have a training camp. You gotta you gotta get uh you know you gotta get a, an all star if, if you allow me not to have training camp. By the way, but uh it's. <laughs> But, you know, I, I go down there, and that whole ordeal, it was more tough than anything. But uh, Noel called me. Greg Quick called me. You know, well, well, you've been in the game long enough, man. You you become a man. And when you play, and, you know, these guys are friends. You know, they're friends for life, regardless of what their evaluation of, of me is, you know. And uh, they called. Jacques called. I, I'm guessing Jacques made a statement. I saw he, he called me and told me, Cavis is saying this is a business uh, – this is a – you know, a performance decision. I'm telling him, no, it's not because I make performance decisions. I'm the coach. So then it got even weirder, Nick. Like, yeah, basically, I, basically, I was trashed in the media. He said that uh, whoever the guy who y'all had over there at the time, Star was his name. Like he straight up said, like this guy is better than Bear. We we upgraded a position. He bro, he said that about a guy who's never even played pro football. And never I'm sitting there going, and he never. And he probably didn't play three games that year. He probably didn't start three games that year. But even whatever happened, I'm like, bro, like, thankfully the fans in Montreal just the support around the league found out that that was kind of nuts to say. And I was trying to figure out, like, why would he say that about me, man? Like, Cavis and I, I mean, we're, we're absolutely good, great relationship like I have with basically everybody in the locker room. And I'm like, why would you say a guy who's never played pro football is better than me? And then that honestly puts like a, a negative – you know, viewpoint of the league because if I'm winning defensive player of the year in the East, but yet a guy who's never played pro football is better than me, then what does that say about the rest of the league? Like, it's just a whole weird – it did no injustice, man. Yeah. But I tell you, the, the support I got from all y'all, the, the whole locker room, the, the next day, like, from the get-go, man, I, my heart went out for y'all. I'm like, man, they can't – they're never going to trust these people. How can you trust Not a chance. <laughs> Not, Not a, a chance. chance. It, was the same, it was the same bullshit, you know, and that's why – like I was speaking up in the locker room and, you know, 
it kind of soured some shit because, um, you know me, I'm not, I'm never going to be quiet and I'm always going to be there for the players. I'm going to say what needs to be said for the players. And, you know, I asked to be traded that year. Right. I asked, I asked them, I said, can you, I said, can you release me or trade me? And they wouldn't do it. Right. And that's just the way it was because you see the shit going on and yeah, I mean, it got so bad. I, w- I was talking personally to Andrew Wenhall. Wow. Yeah. And he was calling me on the phone. So, yeah. Yes. But did you feel vindicated when you won the uh, Great Cup in 17? Your first Man. one. Yeah, dude. I got to say, like, I try to, you know, when you come home from the CFL, it's just like two different worlds, right? We live the world of a CFL player, then you come back to the States, and people don't even if they know that's what you do for a living, they're not in the loop to understand just how awesome this league is, just kind of like what we go through. And so when I try to tell this story to people who aren't there, I can't, I can't tell it well enough. It's just a, one of the greatest sports stories that I, can, that I even know of to where a club goes from worst to first, but they don't even have a general manager when the draft happens and all this. Like the general manager leaves, the head coach leaves, they're in an off season where there's no front office in place. Uh, and then to bring in the recently fired CFL future Hall of Fame general manager, Jim Pop, for him then to bring in Mark Tressman, you know, future Hall of Fame coach, to come to this team, it was just, it was what, the, when they signed, I was in uh, Montreal. We were in Montreal when they signed. And I, I texted Mark. I said, man, the CFL is now better that you're back. Like, we need people like you in the league because of the positive media that was on it, right? Yeah. I uh, never, thought, never thought I'd be winning a championship with him that year. But, uh, so, yeah, when I, when I go there, it, it, the validation was just being at my best mentally, spiritually, to be able to recognize that to trust the Lord's will is how I live my life, man. Like, I'm not going to allow what should be a devastating career moment determine the rest of the year and uh, and, I, and and that's what it, and being able to go to Montreal and and dude SJ was there when I got there man like my longest serving teammate of my whole life SJ Green man like I guess I was with him for mm-hmm. 10 years 11 years 10 or 11 years uh between Montreal and Toronto so it was just awesome man and, and when, bro, Nick, let me tell you bro when I got the when I got to camp I looked out there on the defense that I walked down to and bro I'm seeing DeMarcus Paul all right Deshaun Lemon, I'm like, all right. The Cleon, I'm like, all right. I see uh, Rico Murray, I'm like, all right. Johnny Sears, oh, all right. Uh, JG, all right. Matt Black, all right. I, dude, I'm like, CFL All-Stars <laughs> everywhere, man. Like, yeah. Eastern All-Stars everywhere. Like, I just walked into the, the, the you talking about some OGs, man. Like, that's that defense, man. You know, the, it, it, I just couldn't but believe it. Like, like, Victor I, Butler, too, that year, wasn't it? But wasn't I didn't mention him. Yes, he was. I didn't mention his name because first day of camp, I don't know who Victor is. Yeah, I remember because he was a cowboy. He played linebacker for the Cowboys. Right, right, right. right. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but I, I was about to say two games into the season, I knew exactly who Victor was. <laughs> 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 oh man, what a great dude, too, Nick. Man, y'all, y'all, man, y'all would be the best of friends if you, if you ever got to meet that dude. But uh, but anyway, that team, man, I I knew. I'm like, dude. Oh well, let me tell you this. Winston Venable was there because Cavis yep. and them did Winston dirty. Uh, which they did, bro. They told now nah, I can't tell Winston's business, but they did him dirty. Uh, yeah. But he was there when I got there. So my boy Stone messed me up. So I'm like, dude, are we really like we're about to be on the same team within the division? We're about to stomp the East, man. 
And and I get there, bro, and Winston comes to me that morning. He says, he says, D. Woody, I'm retiring, man. I'm like, what? Dude, what? Like, I'm here, dude, hang on. And he, dude, I saw the look in his eyes, Nick. I'm sure you've yeah. seen some guys when they're ready to retire. He was done. Like, all, he wasn't just, he was done. And, uh, and he said, man, it, just, it helps me to know that what I'm walking away from makes room for whatever money you can get. And I hope you get all the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but he was there too. So it, it was just awesome to, to think that we were going to play together. He's, you know, one of my closest friends. And, but that year was incredible, bro. We, we, we put the team together slowly. Uh, about nine games in, we just knew that we were hitting our stride. If we could just hang into ball games, we knew because we had Ricky Ray, man, we just knew if yeah. we could put him in a, in a spot to be able to finish the game for us, he would. And that's exactly what he did, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good story, man. But I just got two more questions, short questions. Okay. Sure. One, the name, Bear. How did you get okay. it? Okay. All right. Here's the name Bear. So my given name by birth was Jonathan Mark Woods. My dad's a pastor. He named me and one of my brothers, Joshua and Jonathan. Jonathan was a warrior in the Bible, a loyal yep. friend of King David, you know. Uh, and I'm proud of the name Jonathan. However, when I was about a year old, my grandfather, uh, we called him Bopa, Bo, he named me Bear because he put me on a counter and he turned around and I was up in the cabinet. So he just started calling me Bear. Well, being in a small town, everyone started calling me Bear. So the name uh, in 2000, and when I started my pro career and I started paying like for real taxes in Atlanta, I had one tax uh, document that said Bear, one that said Jonathan. I said, I'm going to fix this now. And my, and my grandfather, Bopal, had passed away right before I signed with Atlanta. And, uh, mm. and I should have changed, changed my name long before then, but I did with all that going on, you know, the documents. Because Bear is my name, that's what I've always been called. So I changed my name. My name now is legally Bear Mark Woods. And once again, I like Jonathan. I've just never been called Jonathan, man. Like throughout school, throughout anything. Like I've, I've never, been, I've never been called by my mom. She's like, "Why did you change your name?" I said, "Well, mom, if you didn't want me changing my name, why'd you call me Bear for my entire life?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> so th th that's the that's the story behind it, man. I've, I've just never been called Jonathan. So that's an awesome story, man. Um, well, I appreciate you for coming through. The last question. You say, out of everything we talked about, one of the biggest yep. things I've taken is, is leaders lead. From your perspective, for the people listening to this, how do they become leaders and how do they lead? No matter what area of life, uh, through the despair, through hard times, through everything that they go through to be successful, what is your best knowledge that you can give them so they can become leaders and they can lead their families, their communities, and their their situation, and even themselves. Yep. Uh, yeah, without, without hesitation, I can tell them. And it's exactly what Jesus Christ said. He says, I'm leaving you with this, a gift, a gift that the world cannot give you, a gift of peace of mind and of heart. So how do I have a positive approach to when, when I say things like even now through all this negative strife, it's an opportunity to lead. It's because I'm resting assured that God's promise is going to be fulfilled. And that is Bear Woods answering that question. That's my advice. And to remember that Jesus, that God did not send his son, Jesus, to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. That there is a gift that's available to everybody. Uh, the whole identity of the sovereign being is created from our creator, God Almighty. And that's the peace that, you, that only can be provided in times like this. So that's why I go back and I read letters of a Birmingham jail. Where was MLK's mind at when he was, when he was willingly suffering injustice to get the message out? And I, and I read, I was, I, I, that's where I go to, I read that. I want to read where the, the Christian pastors of our founding, like, like John Witherspoon, where was he at on these issues? So, and, but it all comes back to my biblical worldview that this earth is passing away and there's a better promise awaiting all of us and that the only way is revival or bust. And I would share the gospel in moments like this and it's going to be the leadership of the church, in my opinion, that makes the difference. Because it was the church. Remember, I was asked this, Nick, not to get up. Uh, just give me a little, uh, 10 more seconds. No, you, whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, go yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I've, the word essential has been thrown around. Well, once again, as we talk about the declaration and, and just, and we, through our conversation, I hope people will understand, they got a lot to read if they're going to even be able to kind of keep up with things I've said today from a founding foundational standpoint. But I was asked, well, how essential is it to go to church? And my immediate response, well, it was so essential that the pilgrims risked life and limb to sell up to another continent just to have church, right? So I, I set that up to go back to the point of my biblical worldview. It was that of the Christian church that set the foundations to acknowledge the sovereign individual being created equally at birth from God. It was from those people. That was the call. And there's divisions in the church. Because once again, it's not the gospel that let anyone down. It was the men who were supposed to protect wasn't Mark, right. It wasn't Mark, yeah, It wasn't the message of Martin Luther King that let you down. It was those who were meant to carry his legs. It wasn't that declaration that let you down. It was the men. So if we know men's going to let you down, the only peace that will ever satisfy your inner being, your soul, in moments of triumph or moments of defeat is that of the gift of eternal salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would just say God bless everybody and encourage everyone that you can make it through this. We will make it through this. When everyone sees negative, let's let's just lead. And it can just start by love thy neighbor as thyself. As complicated as theology might be, the Pharisees try to trip up Jesus and say, well, of all the commandments, what's the most? Love thy God with all your heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. And I know this, I would never want anyone standing on my neck for nine and a half minutes. Amen. How are you with that? Amen. Amen. I appreciate it. I know I try to put this, I don't want to put a limit on it. And I'm glad that you could share this, you know, hour and 40 minutes and be able to share your knowledge, your truth and your story. And I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, I'm, I've got this platform to do it. Mm-hmm. It was a pleasure being your teammate. You know, you're one of the greatest men I've ever suited up with. One of the greatest teammates, definitely one of the greatest players. So I appreciate that time. I appreciate your commitment to the game. I appreciate your commitment to humanity. And I hope we can continue to push this forward. And like you said, we will make it through. Mm-hmm. Love you, brother. Well, Nick, I love you too, man. Thank you for this. I enjoy it and I miss you, man. Yeah, I miss you too, brother. Take All it right. easy. And we out. All right.